Okay, today we're in chapter 8. Chapter 8 and 9, actually going to cover two chapters. You may think that's impossible, but I think we can do it. This is where the Apostle John sees judgments now actually beginning to fall on the earth. Um, we have looked at people uh, who were in the tribulation period, key people. Uh, the book of Revelation, if you read it chapter by chapter, uh, John it seems to be on overload. It's, it's kind of broken up. It's kind of here and there with different things. We have people here. We have people there. We have people later. What I've done is tried to pull all the people together so that as we look at the people, we can understand what's happening, not only what God's trying to do, but where the people are personally in this earth, not only those who are believers, but also those who are against believers. And hopefully it's made things a little more important but or clear. But in chapter 8 and 9, the judgments now begin to fall. And this is staggering. These, these are the kind of chapters that you just have to let it sink in and think about because they are very real. The world is going to experience them. Remember, this is over a seven-year period of time. And so we have to think, where are we going to put these in? The trumpet judgments, they could cover both both sides of the middle of the tribulation, uh, but uh, th they're pretty staggering. So let me, let me just begin in chapter eight, and I'll let me have prayer first, and then we'll, we'll get it started with chapter eight. Father, we are going to read things today that are hard to process. We know that the Bible means what it says. Uh, we know that it is literal. Uh, we know that you love men are doing everything you can to bring people to Christ. We know that the hardness of men sometimes will push back against you, and we find that just so hard to believe. Father, help us to understand just what you want us to see here as the judgment of God that's very real begins to fall upon a world that is rebelling against its maker and help us to understand that the judgment of God is real and nothing to be trifled with. So help us and we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read the first opening verses of chapter 8. <clears throat> and again, I hope you're reading along with me. When he had opened the seventh seal, remember we looked at that overview, the scroll that had six seals on it. When he opens the sixth seal, he opens the, the document, and these are the things that are contained, the writing. This is what God has planned as he cares for this world. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel then took the censer and filled it with the fire off the altar and cast it, that fire, into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Uh, the storm is about to break. 
and the seven angels which had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The, the importance, the significance of this moment is seen by this prolonged period of silence. All of heaven is quiet. The angels, as they come out from the presence of God and they have these trumpets, it's very obvious God is going to do something. And all heaven sees this. And they're thinking, what is God going to do now? And each trumpet, when it sounds, signals to heaven what's been done on the earth. And that's what we're going to be looking at here. And this, this silence has to be deafening. It's a prolonged period of time. It says about a half hour. Think of it this way. Uh, we know, heaven knows what's happening on earth. They know how wicked men are and the terrible state that the world's in. We know that. Think of the a court, in a courtroom setting, you've had the trial, the evidence is in, the jury is deliberated, and now the foreman is going to read the verdict. At that moment, there isn't a sound anywhere in that courtroom. They are all zoned in on what's going to happen, what, what will the verdict be. Uh, nobody's rustling in their chair, looking in the purse, looking at their self. They are glued into this, and it's deafening. It's just total quiet. That's the kind of thing here. As the angels come out, heaven knows what's going on on the earth, and they're thinking, what is going to happen now? And the movement of the angels, if you'd notice the movement of the angels, John understands every step of this because it's identical to the movements of the priest in the temple that would worship God. I have in the lower left-hand corner of uh, the PowerPoint on the screen of a priest before an altar with incense giving worship to God. There was a sweet-smelling fragrance of this um, incense that God told Moses how to create it in the Old Testament. No one else was to touch it. But it was sweet smelling to God. And as the priest here stands before God, just like the angel, there is being given to God the purest, the most reverent, the most holy adoration, surrender, devotion that can be given to God. It's pure, pure worship, adoring God for who he is, <clears throat> recognizing his majesty and wanting him to be exalted. After that moment of worship, this angel, sometimes the priest, would t turn around and go to the brazen altar. In this case, the priest sometimes had a censer. They would get some more fire if they had other things that they were to do. But here, the angel scoops up a little bit of that fire in his censer and he casts it to the earth. And the judgments are about to begin. That's why you have the thunders and the lightnings and the earthquake and all of that. That tells us that the judgments that follow are righteous. They are extreme. They are deserved. But in the honor and glory of God, for the honor and glory of God, they're very appropriate. The world is at war with God. <clears throat> it's time to end the war. And that's what's happening here, not only this week, but next week. And 
we want you to see, let's see, let's go back to this one. Notice the first trumpet in, in verse 7. We're just going to read down through these. The first angel sounded, there, there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and there were cast upon the earth, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burned up, and all green grass was burnt up. Now in this day, grass meant not only lawns, but fields. That's where the grass was at for the cattle or for the sheep. Now think about what's happening here. Heaven unleashes this judgment for areas all around the world. One out of every three trees is burnt and there is no ground covering anywhere. None. Now, Lancaster County is beautiful. The lawns are beautifully kept. We have parks uh, for kids to play. We have playgrounds. We have ballparks, golf courses. We have a lot of beautiful fields and things. What would it be like to drive through our area and every place where there's ground covering is burned? It's just not there. God is doing this, and he's doing it intentionally. Let me go on to the next one. Trumpets 1 and 4 form a unit, and you'll see that. Notice in verse 8 and 9, we'll come to trumpet number 2, the second one heavens. And the second angel sounded, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. third part of the creatures which were in the sea that had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. This judgment is upon the oceans. Now, I think if I remember right, either two-thirds or three-fourths of the world's mass surface is water. Somebody wants to call me from Arizona. It must be a telemarketer. <laughs> two-thirds of the land mass, three-fourths of the land mass is water. Here, one-third of the water in the seas is now ruined. One-third of the sea life is destroyed. It appears that the ships are destroyed, probably the, the area of impact that took this, uh, whether it was a meteorite or what, we don't know, uh, and the damage went out from that. But one-third, the, the world is a very big place. We have masses and masses of water. One-third of the water in the ocean is destroyed. That's pretty significant for the people who live on this planet. Let's notice the next one. Notice verse, er, verses 10 and 11. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, possibly a meteorite. It fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the water became wor uh, Wormwood, and many men died because of the waters that had been made bitter. So we have here another uh, problem with our water supply. It's just not the oceans. Now the water supply on land, one-third of it has been contaminated. And for the first time, we see judgments beginning to affect people. There are people who are dying because of this. So we have one-third of the oceans. We have 
one third of the water supply on this earth and the rivers and the springs and the lakes, they're all gone, they're, they're contaminated. And now God does something with our atmosphere. And notice in verses 12 and 13. The fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars so that the third part of them was darkened, kind of like an eclipse. And the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And it means the judgment that happens now in the atmosphere affects the stars, the moon, and the sun. And a third of the night, total darkness, this eclipse. A third part of the day is lost because of these problems. And you have to wonder what, what that's going to do to the psyche of men and women who live on the earth when they look up and they look at their day. It's like instead of getting up at uh, 6, the sun begins to come up at 5.30 or 6. It doesn't start until 11.30 or 12. What are they going to think their world is coming to? Now remember, during this time, we have 144,000 faithful witnesses. Or telling people not only what's coming, what's happening, but also what they need to do. They trust in Christ as, as their Savior. There are people who are coming to Christ. They're telling their loved ones, even though the world's persecuting them and killing them. But the message is getting out there. And now the judgments are beginning to fall, and the world has to do something with it. And the angel says in the last verse of chapter 8, uh, this has been bad, but it's going to get worse. And now notice with me in chapter 9, because we continue. Uh, these are unusual verses, but I want you just to get the overall impression, the main thought of what's coming out here. Stay with me. I think you can do it. In chapter 9, and the fifth angel, remember there were seven, but the fifth angel sounds, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. This is going to be talked about in chapter 12, where Satan is cast out of heaven, and he knows that his time is short, and he is filled with great wrath. Okay, But notice, a star from heaven falls to the earth. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Catch that. That is the key phrase for this next verse, too. The focus is upon the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of that pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Just stop there for a minute. The bottomless pit. You know what that refers to, don't you? That is the place where demons are held in jail. Luke chapter 8, from their own words during Jesus' ministry, they don't even want to be there. They don't ever want to go back. And when Jesus was casting out demons, you remember... They came on earth, bothered men to frustrate the Savior in his ministry. Uh, it was never any problem to the Savior. He just cast them away quickly. But here, the bottomless pit is open, and now we have 
these demons who are coming out of the pit and the judgment that God has here is that he allows demons to walk freely among men. And the world has never seen anything like this. This is judgment. Demons are allowed to walk freely among men. Now think with me back to the Gospels and what you remember about demon ministry that Jesus just so easily flipped aside. Remember that. Remember, if you would please, what happened during that time. Demons inflicted great pain upon people. Not only pain physically, but anguish of soul. They made it impossible for people to control their movements. Uh, they did not have control over what they wanted to do, what they could or couldn't do. Uh, they were enslaved in the worst kind of ways. We know that. We saw that. And it was great every time that Jesus sent the demons away and allowed people to have their lives back. But notice here that God allows the bottomless pit to be opened and here they come. Notice what happens and what they do. Verse 4, it was commanded that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any green tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. A reference to people who have not believed, have not believed in the Savior, who want nothing to do with God and have become enemies of God and very hate-filled toward those who do love God or love the Savior. We've seen them before. These are the people that are marked all over the world. People who have nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with God. They have met their match. And here come the demons. It says that <clears throat> they won't hurt the grass or the green things or the trees, but only those men, that is hurt only those men who are not right with God. Verse 5, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days, men will want death, but they won't find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. And for a period of five months, these people will agonize, not only physically, but in soul, because this judgment has come from God because of what they have done and what they are doing. Nothing like this has ever been recorded in human history. And I need to stop there and going back, uh, just, just back a little bit. Some, it would be easy for people to think, and maybe some of you are thinking, you know, this, this is really extreme. And I know that God needs to deal with the world, but this seems to be a little over the edge. How can a good God, if there's any good at all, how can he do things like this on a massive scale? How, how can this happen? And, and I need to remind you, look at the big picture of human history and remember that God has already publicly demonstrated his great anger against people who abandon themselves to ungodliness. When people give themselves wholly to sin, 
they have nothing to do with God. They hate God. That, that's the passion in them. Then there's nothing that God can do. In Noah's day, if you remember, God came to Noah and said that my spirit will not always strive with men. Uh, I can't do anything with men anymore is what God was saying. I can't do anything with them anymore. My spirit can't even get through to them anymore. Uh, God tells us that they were violent, that they were in their hearts, uh, the imaginations of their hearts and minds were only evil and wicked continually. They were filled with hurt and misery. And God trying as he would, he, there's nothing that he could do. And he gives them time, but through the preaching of Noah, there's not indication that any one person ever, not even one person, changed their mind about the way they were living or God. And what did God do? He simply took them all away. All of them, all of the people that existed on the earth, apart from Noah's family, all of them were taken away because God said enough's enough. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that uh, Abraham was praying that God would care for Lot, his nephew. God had sent two angels to tell them that they were going to tell Abraham that they were going to destroy the city. And he began to plead. And God was able to get Lot, his wife, and two daughters out of the city. But then it says, God rained fire from heaven upon that city and the areas around about and buried it, turned it into ashes. You can read about it in Genesis 18 and 19. And Jude tells us, that this was done so that all men would forever know, don't ever go there. This is his example, don't go there. And we know that when Abraham uh, was being given the promises of God for a blessing, uh, for his land, his seed, uh, the blessing uh, of the nation of Israel, uh, he said that there was, God told him there would be a time when he would be uh, strangers, his family would be in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, but he would take care of them and he would bring them back to the land because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Their sin had not yet fully developed and ripe, ripened. Uh, one man said God knew that in 400 years they would lose the right, forfeit the right to live. And as the nation of Israel came into the land uh, on their way to re be restored to their land that God had given them, Every time they approached the Canaanite city, it was extremely wicked. What they did, it's documented in history, extremely wicked. They refused. The nation of Israel wanted to have a peaceful resolution to that. And they said, we won't recognize you. We won't recognize your law. We won't recognize your God. And God said, take them out and don't have anything to do with them because they will destroy you because their sin is full. God has in the past demonstrated that when sin gets to a particular place that, <clears throat> that uh, and there's nothing more that he can do, that's when judgment takes place. That's why I have in this, on the screen, when men are at their worst, uh, God is severe. Now one more judgment, and I know these are hard to process. Notice verse 13 of chapter 9. There's a description of those uh, demons uh, in the rest of the chapter that's taken from Joel. But in verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel that had the trumpet, loose 
the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Loose them, let them go, untie them. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year to slay the third part of men. And then you have the number of them. Good angels are not bound. Holy angels are not bound. Wicked angels are. And in this place, we are told that they have a task that God has been waiting for them to do. The time has not been right. Now it is. And they are let go. <clears throat> and as you look at this, there is this massive movement of an army that's coming across. And as you look at this, you'll see it a little bit later too. Again, it is an awful thing to have happen. Here comes this almost demonic type army. What I want you to see is in verses 20 and 21. Let me go back to verse 15 where it says, they will kill one third of the part of men one-third of the part of men. Earlier we were told that one-fourth of mankind was destroyed in one of the judgments in chapter 6. Now you add this fraction and together that represents half of the population of the earth. By this time half of the population will have been destroyed and the temptation is no that can't really be but remember what happened during Noah's day. Remember what happened during Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember what happened to the wicked Canaanites, all of them that had forfeited the right to live. Sin had gone so far, not even God could do anything with them, and he exercised a righteous judgment on them by removing them to protect the rest of the world. It's hard for us to understand. But remember what we've been learning about men on the earth during this period. Remember that. And now think of all these things that are now happening on them, and these judgments that are coming. You have the 144,000 witnesses. You have the two witnesses that are telling people there is a God. This is what's coming. This is what's happening. This is what you need to do. In spite of all these things, notice how the chapter ends where it says in verse 20, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should worship the de demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, and stone of wood, which neither can see, hear, or talk. Neither repented they of their murders or of their sorceries, of their fornications or their thefts. No matter how hard life has gotten for them, they refuse to turn away from their sin and they refuse to turn to God. Twice we're told that. Even after these judgments, they refuse to turn away from their sin. They refuse to turn to God. Remember after the two witnesses were risen from their death? It said that the rest of the city, uh, they glorified the God of heaven. They gave him glory. Not, not now. These people around the world have no ability to recognize God. They have no desire to recognize God. 
And that's just where the world is going. Now, I want to close with this. I want you to notice in chapter 14, chapter 14, if you would please, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 14, I'm jumping ahead because I want you to see this. I keep sharing with you that God, who is so good, is doing everything he can to help men and women to come to Christ for their salvation. While there's time, he's trying everything he can. All this is happening on earth. Let's take a trip back up to heaven and notice in chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the eternal gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, because the judgments are come. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. Heaven understands that still the heartbeat of God is to see people come to Christ before it's too late. The judgments are coming, but it's like there's another hand of grace. Please get right. And we are reminded of just how valuable the souls of men and women are to God. He will do everything he can to help people come to Christ while there is yet time. And that should tell us all something. Every time you share the message of salvation with another person, when you ask them specifically to trust in Christ for salvation, you have no idea of the joy and just the incredible pleasure that brings to heaven because you are doing what God wants. God wants to reach people while there is yet time. These are awful judgments. And next week, the vile judgments, they happen one right after the other. These are the worst that are coming. And then Jesus comes and restores order to this world and gives it back to God. It's a great moment for those who know the Savior, but it's an awful moment for those who don't. Okay, we're just about done. Thanks for being with us. Let's see what kind of questions you have.